Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to the Goblin Lore Podcast. Um, this episode is going to be going out the first week of May. And, and actually, if some of you may remember from last year, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and Mental Health Awareness Month, I think, is something that's really important to this cast. And starting with last year, we really made kind of the decision that we were going to be intentional about using this month to kind of amplify topics specifically related to mental health and that, you know, we know that that's always kind of a part of the show, but really focusing kind of in on it, really drawing attention to it. Last year, we spent a lot of time kind of talking about stigma. Um, we talked, we, that was our first time actually talking about recovery, the idea of the recovery model. Um, and th this year, we actually have a variety of topics already planned out for this month. So every episode this month is going to be focused on mental health. So with that said, uh, there's a couple of kind of things I wanted to kind of get out of the way. So number one, we got to say thank you to Grinding Coffee Company. Um, we are just, once again, they are a black LGBT woman run coffee business that is partnered with gamers. Um, and we are just thankful to be able to continue to be affiliated with them. Um, and then I wanted to say that some of the topics that we might talk about, and today's episode is one that could include some of those, may be triggering for some people. This means that there are times during this month, topics of self-harm, um, topics of trauma, topics of just, you know, mental health things in general are going to be talked about frankly and, you know, respectfully. And I think that's kind of what we have always done on this show, but we just want to let people be aware of that kind of going into this entire month. Um, at the With the notes of each episode, if you go to them and click on them, there are the numbers that are directly for the crisis lines, um, and actually a variety of them. We've included kind of the one that has just the general crisis line, um, the one for veterans, LGBT, and then the trans lifeline. And we just want to make sure that that is always part of our show's kind of notes that go up every week just a reminder that they are there. Um, there are also links that we've been keeping up since last year when we talked about this for NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. One other thing that the Goblin Lore Pod is doing for the month of May is we are partnering with some other creators. And that's going to involve, we don't fully know what yet. We know at the very least that there's going to be some charity streams. Um, and us as a podcast are giving away a Goblin EDH deck, which I don't know, Alex, I feel like, is this like five? Like Ooh, I've lost. I think track. so. <laughs> yeah. We like, but we have another Goblin EDH deck and this is like, uh, so Barbarian's Riddle. So Ryan, who was on a couple of weeks ago, he had donated this a while back. It includes a Goblin Wizard, which somehow <laughs> was like a hundred dollar card now. Um, seriously, I actually got the artist proof for it cheaper than the actual one. And, and honestly, <laughs> in the world of artist proofs, that's not as common. Um, so this deck is a fully ready to play goblin deck with a, a lot of cool, uh, a lot of cool like um foil versions i believe there's some from the um secret lair drop with that great cool comic book art on it um there's some hobbs q tokens that i had gotten done by inkling and alex and i are also going to be signing copies of uh, goblin lore 
and a copy of Goblin Gathering and including this with a Ultra Pro like Boulder deck box, uh, Red Dragon Shield. So all you have to do to enter is DM us proof of a donation to a mental health organization during the month of May. That's it. Nothing else. You don't have to retweet us. You don't have to be following us. We don't care. We just, we're, we're going to give away this deck as part of, you know, our way of trying to raise some money for mental health and for mental health awareness. So with that, we are um, here for our first month, uh, first episode of the month, and we have a very special guest with us. So we have ALK Alters with us, who we're going to let him kind of introduce himself, kind of tell you a little bit of, about what he does, who he is, uh, kind of his role in the community. And we are going to have a role in the community. <laughs> <laughs> well, if not, it's time to make one up. Oh, right yeah. Now. Well, I'm the, I'm the community's dad now. So eat your vegetables and listen to your mother. <laughs> wow. If you're the community dad, I don't even want to know what that makes me. I'm like the community grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> so as we do, um, we, we will let ALK introduce um, himself and to tell us a little bit about, you know, we're going to have our question today be one that we've done in the past, but is very relevant for right now. And that is simply, what is something recent that you have been using for self-care? Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is ALK Alters. Um my pronouns are he and him, and I guess his. Um, I do digital magic uh, card alters. Uh, so magic alters, not with like paint and other physical things, but with Photoshop, basically. Um, and I've been doing that for, geez, uh, around two and a half years, I believe. It actually sort of ties into my mental health journey a little bit, um, which I'll get into later. Um, but that's the the sort of main thing I do. I'm also a casual commander slash general magic content creator in that, and I say casual not in like casual games, but more like casual in that I don't try very hard to make content. Um, <laughs> like if so it happens it happens it. <laughs> <laughs> I just basically like if I have uh, I this is not you know my my full-time gig um, and so if I have an idea that I really want to do or a goof that I want to do I'll, I'll put it out there but otherwise I'm, I'm not um, you know putting myself to a schedule and um uh, actively applying to to make a podcast or a, a stream or anything like that. I'll say one thing I will say is I'm used to you, you, but you you make the rounds. Like you get to play with a lot. Like you, you are you are a popular guest. I would say on people's show. Like I know that you've you you know you you're a very fun person to play with. I can oh, say from you. experience. I I try to be fun. Um, it's it can be you know uh a difficult sometimes over uh virtual where you're just like in the the sort of like little box in front of your computer where your cards are and then like staring at each other's cards and you like i miss i really do miss that face to face interaction it, and like i think that sort of smooths out the whole gameplay experience where virtual can be a little rough sometimes um and um, 
but I yeah, I, it's been the like the 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 winning aspect of virtual, of course, is you get to play with so many people that you would not just not get to play with, and that's fantastic. So during this time period, and by this, I guess I mean the pandemic, because we're still talking about it a year after we did our last mental health month, um, when we actually talked about the quarantine. We talked about could a quarantine stop the Phyrexians was an episode with Chase, which was a follow-up <laughs> to the fact that the right before the pandemic started, we recorded how to avoid social anxiety or how to avoid <laughs> avoidance. And it came out literally... As the, people were locking down. lockdowns when it uh, and you're the well it's like, funny too because i listened to that episode and you said you know the best way to avoid social anxiety is just to to stay in your house for 13 months and never <laughs> interact with anyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were you we were, were still busy. on point <laughs> yeah <laughs> but what's something that you've been using for kind of the the self-care um so I've been really getting back into exercise. Um, I was a swimmer all the way from like from the age of six all the way through high school and college. Um, and then I, I worked incredibly hard at it. And then once I finished, I was like, okay, I am done. Because it was it was really, really like draining to do that every yes. day. Um, I, I don't think people – This I want to – because – uh, this has come up too, because I, I, I ran from high school through college and then did not until like recently even. And I don't think people realize kind of how burning out that can be for something mm -hmm. that you also really love. And, you know, I, I coasted off of that and it's been uh, a good while now since I graduated from college. I coasted off of that for several years and then um, started putting on a little bit of weight um, and then the pandemic hit and I started putting on even more weight. Um, so I got back into exercise. Um, I had tried swimming again for a little bit, you know, years ago, getting into master swimming, which is if you can do it, it's very popular. Um, lots of places have uh, master's clubs. I just I, like I like I did it for a little bit. And I was like, I realized I hate this. <laughs> like. I like it's not like the most fun part for me swimming was like the teams and the competition aspect of it and I, I like I could have built up to get back there but just like the process of waking up and like early and going to the pool and like, changing <laughs> and like jumping into the cold water it was awful um so what I did realize though you know, now with the pandemic is I don't have to commute to my job. I'm lucky I can work fully at home. So I've been trying to get back. I was thinking about running. Uh, running didn't really work out so much for me. So I've just been walking. Uh, but I walk with, I have uh, dumbbells and um, I have a, a camelback on my back. And my, my wife makes fun of me because I look ridiculous, but it's, I've been like improving my pace um, and like getting, trying to get in a, a solid amount of exercise each day. And, you know, exercise uh, produces uh, dopamine in your, your brain, which is a chemical that actually like makes you happier. Um, and it's something that my therapist was telling me to try to do for a while. Um, 
And then like, but you know, I'm really enjoy like I'm now getting to the point where I'm getting better at it and I'm enjoy like I'm getting that sort of competitive spirit back a little bit to be like, oh, this is my time. I can push myself, I can beat my time. Like that sort of that sort of stuff, which was some of the stuff I really loved about swimming back in the day, is like the the attempt to improve what you're doing and um to push you like to really push yourself i i really do love that experience of like really like going all out on a, a workout and then like like leaving nothing in the tank and just finishing it and being like all right that was worth it awesome well alex <laughs> how are you doing you know you and i uh, never talk so i know no. a ton <laughs> no. but uh, I'm doing good. As, as I think I said in our last episode, I just finished moving now as of this time of recording, because recording podcasts is always a weird exercise in time travel. Um, I've finished moving. It was about two weeks ago. In two days, it'll have been two weeks. So I'm feeling good. That was that was a lot of stress and, and a lot of anxiety um, on my shoulders. Tomorrow is when I do my final walkthrough at the old place and give the keys back. And then that place is gone forever from my life, which will be more stress and anxiety off of my shoulders. So I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> but I suppose I should actually introduce myself. Um, I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. Um, my pronouns are he, him. And um, to, to say one small thing um, that we've been doing for self-care, that I've been doing for self-care, um, it's a good question. It comes back a lot. And in that spirit, I'm going to use an answer I've used before because it still remains solid. Um, and that's uh, buying like jar candles. Like I love. Oh, it's these. not Animal Crossing? Well, no, not right now. We'll see how okay. the rest of this month goes. That may show okay. up. But, um, I actually have not been playing it uh, much recently. Though uh, tomorrow, Pokemon new Pokemon Snap is available, so maybe that shows up in the next episode we record. We'll see. Uh, but and actually, because you did specify recent, so I will say that I recently was at Target because I, as you may know, recently moved. So while there, I just decided I was going to buy candles because it's been a while. I had a few. I got some for Christmas, so I kind of had a stockpile and haven't really gone to buy new ones. Which for at least for me is like part of the experience is getting to try out different scents because well i don't have a great sense of smell it's it's i'm always congested i, I have a dust allergy and things so that's part of why i love scented candles it's a way for me to to kind of introduce something to my life that doesn't exist in most of it like a lot of the time i just don't have smell happening um and so i always enjoy getting to try this out and especially uh, i can only like try like three or four candles before my nose starts to get fatigued but so it's kind of like really strategically picking the one that has like the attractive label that looks good and <laughs> this is a scent that you know is something that i know i like so let's try this looks like something similar and so like that's always a part of the experience for me that i really enjoy and we've talked about this a little bit in the past uh, that for you candles is one of those things that i love because it engages multiple senses um yeah. Yeah. And, the, you know, there's the smell aspect to it. There's mm -hmm. the actual flame. There's heat coming off of it. To me, it's like I love things that try to engage multiple of my senses, especially for kind of like either grounding or helping me to feel like just more relaxed, I would say. Oh, yeah. And if you can find the woodwick ones, you got sound, too, because those have you ever I love used? Those. Oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I found one and, and I may have shared this before, but I'm going to share it again because I think it's it's 
good, helpful, fun um, little anecdote. So like my favorite candle of all time, and I can't tell you what brand it was, was one I found at Target, but it's a woodwick candle that was basically campfire scented. I don't think that's what they call Whoa. it. They had a different name for it, but it was so perfect to the smell of the fires that we had at my cabin when I was growing up and the sound of their crackling wood. So it hit me on the, the kind of the nostalgia going back to that childhood memory on two senses at the same time. It's great. It's, it's so good. That's awesome. I love everything about campfires. Mm-hmm. Um, it Like I could just be happy just sitting out in front of a campfire for hours. Yeah. That's like, that's like one of those, like um, it just brings me straight to childhood and it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Emo Hobbs Q just looking into a flame, musing about life. Yep. So about yourself, oh. Hobbs? So yeah. intro? I am Hobbs Q. Uh, and my pronouns are he, him. Uh, so I kind of wanted to look at just, is there anything different or new? Like I, my exercise is one that's more of a routine at this point. I did, you know, with winter coming, it's, it's becoming easier to get that more regular again now that I'm coming off of winter. Um, so actually the, I would say this, the artist proof project I've been doing is actually been a form of self care. Um, I guess it's 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 like a mixture of retail therapy, but also just like puzzle building, because this is one thing that um I think when we had uh, Dan on, when him and I did the episode on kind of like artist proofs and, and talked about flavor of decks and building, was this idea that finding artist proofs is a weird world. So you get the opportunities that like some people have agents, some people you deal with the artist directly. Um, when I get to deal with the artist directly, like I've been able to learn like a lot more, you know, we've had Titus on the show. We've had Adam Paquette on the show. And like Titus is somebody that I just get to talk to on a regular basis now because we had him on the show. I've talked artist proofs and I've just, I, I've actually grown to like have a relationship and a friendship and getting to become friends with that piece of our community has just been done wonders for me. Um, so somebody that we're hoping to get on the show, uh, Jeff Lobenstein. So I don't know if you, either of you know about his project, you, what he's been doing. Yeah, for the past I've year. seen his uh, tokens project. So like, yeah. that is a cool idea. And like, that's one of the things that we're going to talk to him about eventually is like that self-care piece. And through that project and me submitting that and then just talking to the dude, like it's really been fun to kind of like order proofs from somebody and get to have a conversation and just connect with the artist in our community in a way that is very different. And um, it's also given me a project. Like I'm somebody that needs a project and it was a dumb one. Like, ha ha ha. Yeah. I'm going to put together an EDH deck. Um, I mean, I'm getting there. Like I almost have a hundred playable cards. Like, is it good? I don't know. Am I going to be excited <laughs> to play it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. That's like, I, uh, Hobbs knows this, but I, I have a promo cube I, I built because I just love collecting promos and I decided I needed something to do with these as an excuse to continue collecting them. Mm-hmm. So I built a cube and then because it's hard to like, even bef- in the before times, it was hard to get people together to cube. I would just start making commander decks out of these, this massive collection of promos that I have. Um, often they weren't good, 
but it didn't matter, at least for me, because I was playing with all of these fun, goofy little promos that I found. And so I just was always grinning because I had a handful of like my favorite cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally understand. I started making a, uh, a commander cube about two weeks ago, and that was a lot of it's like I I'm just now have to just get the cards. But like the the act of sort of trying to design it was, a, as Hobbs sort of said, it was a really nice puzzle to be like, OK, well, I, I need a Simic commander, but I, I'm not putting Thrasios in. So, you know, what is what's like what archetypes do you want to support what sort of thing and then i really sort of realized like two days after i sort of really started doing this my uh, my grandmother passed away and so i like i really threw myself into that project um just as a way to like mitigate my grief um and so like that's part of the reason why why i finished it so the design so fast um, but it was, it was like, it was really just soothing to, to sort of do. So for our actual episode today, um, in our, uh, you know, ALK kind of approached me, um, and mentioned that there was kind of an aspect of mental health that we, you know, we haven't talked about directly on this show. Um, and it's something that I have experience with more from the provider side of things. And, um, just as, as a reminder, because it being Mental Health Month, I know that there could be this coming up a lot more. Um, everything I talk about on this show is always from the perspective of just me talking about my experiences. It is not clinical advice. It is not. It, I just always have to kind of preface that. Just yes, I. It's weird. I know. I, I'm, I'm awkward. I'm just leaning into it at this point. <laughs> but um, you know, we we'd been talking. I think in the Discord. Um, we'd been talking about kind of the language that magic has used um, some of the concepts that really built out of Innistrad, uh, which is a world of madness. And there is that concept of madness. And I mean, it's a keyword actually that, that does play on top of some of the kind of that era of sanitariums and this like idea of like mental institutions when people were institutionalized for a long time, but I also think that that is sometimes what people have is kind of the perception of what it means if somebody has a mental health crisis and what it might mean if somebody, you know, or, or even just what treatment does look like in mental health. I don't think a lot of people know or think about this stuff and it can be very scary and it can be very much like a reason I have seen people not seek out care. and. ALK, you actually approached and kind of was like, hey, this is actually something that, you know, I might want to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, to, uh, to just go ahead and put it out there. So I have done both um, uh, what they call inpatient um, care, which is um, staying at a hospital um, and outpatient care, which is um, just sort of going to a hospital and doing classes, basically, um, for mental health. Um, and I, I've done those both on separate occasions. Um, so I, I spent uh, not a super long time, three days in inpatient care and then about 10 days in outpatient care. 
So I want to talk about that because you mentioned the, you know, the, the inpatient stay of like three days. Um, mm. That actually is probably kind of an, a newer concept for maybe people that are out there listening. You know, I mean, I think that historically we think of mental health hospitalizations as being like institutions, mm -hmm. right? That's what people are oftentimes picturing or worried is going to happen, you know, that I'm going to be institutionalized. Yeah, I'd say the the public sort of perception of that has solidified over, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, and that that hasn't really uh, that impression hasn't really improved since that that movie was was in the 70s, I believe. Yep. 70s. Mm -hmm. um, Ken, Ken Kesey, actually, that's, that was very interesting. So the, the author of it. Um, was um, one of the people really part of the counterculture movement um, with like the LSD experiments and kind of everything. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, I mean, it, the, the novel itself is really meant to be kind of a, a commentary on more than specifically mental health, but he got the idea for it working at one of these mental health hospitals that, you know, people came to and they stayed and they stayed for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my experience from you know from when I um, when I made the decision to seek um, what we'll call emergency help at that 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 particular point in time, you know, we went to a me and my wife went to a um, a emergency therapist, basically. And I, I told the therapist um, my situation and what had happened. Um, and then my, my therapist using that and knowing that therapist using that and knowing my history, you know, recommended um, an inpatient care um, experience. And that was really mostly based around my safety. Um, and so like the way it was explained to me is that the inpatient facility was a a way to make sure that I was in a safe environment um that my meds could get sort of figured out and that um whatever had prompted this most recent crisis um could be addressed and um it could be established that I was not a danger to myself um, before leaving the facility. So, yeah. And that's what I want to kind of talk about a little bit today when it comes to how inpatient psychiatric hospitalizations tend to work these days. Um, because I think that this is where I will fully admit people are afraid to talk about stuff like suicide or talk about self-harm. And part of that fear is that you're just going to be like forced into a place kind of against your will. Mm -hmm. um, I always tell people, and I, this is kind of just being, you know, the, the, from the field, just mentioning that you're having thoughts of this is not enough for me to say, hold you against your will. And Actually, even if I have somebody, you know, that, that, that isn't to that level, but that I am worried about, I want to do everything that I can to work with the person. And it is kind of like that you were saying, the idea behind psychiatric hospitalizations now 
is really about stabilization. It's really about safety. It's really about helping people that maybe don't feel that they are safe being home and recognizing that piece to it. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that's not always everybody's experience, you know, because there are people that are hospitalized against their will. Um, because of kind of ex- symptoms getting to the point where they are a danger to themselves or others, and they may not be able to recognize that, that can happen. Um, but you're kind of saying that you you recognize that something needed to be done, basically that you that it didn't feel, and it sounds like for you and your wife that it, it was the best idea for you to kind of stay just outpatient at this point. Yeah, so um the the precipitating event um I had been working from home that summer um and um work had really become like the the biggest stressor in my life and the biggest cause of my anxiety which was leading to my depression and that sort of stuff and there was a I was feeling very overwhelmed and there was a specific thing going on at work that I like I just couldn't handle and so um I did a a very minor like very very minor act of self-harm um but like as soon as I did it I was like oh shit like this is not this is not going to end anywhere well like I need to call my wife I need to like figure out what to do next because this is not the path that I want to be on um and so that's what led to it. And, you know, with the um, the advice of the, the therapist there and with the, um, you know, the the counsel of my wife, um, that w- it was a, you know, it was my decision, but it was made all together with everyone. So you mentioned kind of that this was a collaborative piece between you and your wife and the therapist, you guys kind of did talk about this, right? Like you Mm -hmm. you kind of met and discussed this. Was this a therapist that you had a relationship with or was this a place you had gone to be evaluated or? Um, So this was a a place that I had gone to be evaluated. This therapist I did not have a relationship with. Um, This is part of the, um, the, uh, you know, the medical mega corporation in the area that, you know, dominates the area that I live in. <laughs> this yep. is their behavioral health center. Um, and this was this was the therapist whose job this was to be, you know, sort of on hand um, in case of more emergency situations. So I'm wondering, based on kind of what you were talking about, like leading up to this event to this to this actual you know what we would call kind of like the precipitating event the actual Mm -hmm. kind of like point are you somebody that if you're if you feel comfortable talking about it you know how it was mental health struggles new to you was this something that you have dealt with and have, have been you know that you were at least aware that you had had kind of yeah i mean is this something that you have dealt with previously um yeah so i personally um had been seeing therapists um, for about, let's see, that was 
two years ago now and then probably three years before that um and i i had a therapist um we sort of fell off appointments uh because she had fallen ill um and i didn't get a new therapist and then i had been in outpatient um therapy about um nine months before that and i i had been seeing a psychiatrist as well okay. at that time so you kind of had a medication piece to it you were working on also you know you were doing some outpatient but there was kind of an idea that like this is not enough and i think that that is one thing that we kind of look at and that i kind of think of when it comes to hospitalization is at some point you know like your normal coping mechanisms, your normal coping strategies, those that kind of work on a day-to-day basis become overwhelmed or they get to the point where it's not your baseline. And we talked about this a lot on the show. This this idea of the word normal, for instance, is, is the idea of that it's unique to each of us. And I mean, that's one of those things that I hate the word normal except for the fact – like I, mean, I, I hate it as a concept of generally – I love it when you're talking about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Like I know how I sort of how I felt and how I want to feel. And I can tell, you know, when I'm not feeling that way. And like for a long time, I wasn't feeling that way. And now that I'm sort of back to feeling that way more, like I can feel that difference. So you mentioned kind of the, you know, it did escalate to kind of a a self-harm something. And that Mm -hmm. kind of almost sounds like scared you a little bit. Yeah, Um, yeah. And and I don't know, like I said, if you feel comfortable talking. I mean, are you somebody that has struggled in the past with having those thoughts? Um, You know, we we talked on the show um, back with Chase quite a while ago now. Um, We talked about suicidal ideation and we talked about this and, you know, I think even – at that point, you know, I had talked about some of my own more passive, just kind of rather not be alive or those intrusive thoughts of like, I could just turn my car wheel while driving down the road, you know, um, you know, I've never had it raised to that level, but the thoughts are there. And I think that this is something else that I try to normalize or just discuss is that's why I talk about is like, there becomes a point where that becomes different for a lot of people. Yeah. And the, I had been dealing with those sort of like passive thoughts for about two years beforehand. Um, and in that moment, like, you know, when they, they ask you, um, a lot of times if you've had suicidal thoughts, the the next question is, you know, do you have a plan or can you see yourself acting on those thoughts? Um, and it wasn't, like that it was it didn't feel i hate to use the word rational but it didn't it just didn't feel like you know i had a plan and executed like i just felt really like stressed out and awful and this was the only way i could express it like every other avenue to me had been blocked off which i know now wasn't true but you know in that in that moment when you're feeling that way that's the way you feel yeah yeah it it, it, i think rational is a great way to kind of mention it right like 
in the moment, <laughs> it did make sense that that was you're like seeing those other options. They they start becoming limited. You don't see those as being well. You don't really see them as being options. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you you so you went and you stayed right like so were you actually did you do this voluntarily were you put on a hold um i did it voluntarily um there was a a spot open for me to stay in the hospital that day um but it took it took so long it probably took about 10 hours for me like it was um like I, we went to the, the, you know, the behavioral therapist office probably around noon and, you know, talked and made the decision. And I was in like my room in the, in the inpatient unit by at like 11 PM or midnight, there was a lot of waiting. Um, like we had to go to just the, the ER of that hospital. Um, it was all like one sort of big complex so there was a, a a general medicine hospital um there and we had to go to the er and like you know do all the sort of check-in er stuff of uh taking your levels and all of that and then we just waited we waited for so long and it was that was the most awful part was just like because, you know, I had made this decision and there was no going back at that point. Like, I couldn't, like, there was no one even to talk to. There was no, like, there were doctors there, but they were running around doing ER stuff. I couldn't, like, like turn to the doctors, like, you know, I'd just rather go home right now. Um, <laughs> I've changed my mind. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and, um, right, like, even th- this is one of the things that can be kind of a difficult part in in our community. Um there aren't a lot of beds. Like, I'm going to be very honest. Like, this oh, is one yeah, of that we yeah, run yeah. into. Like, there, there is a lack of kind of beds um, available at times. Well, so and we can find those. About that. And then, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, you, I was just, yeah, I was done. I'm good. I mean, I, I think that's the really, you know, the difficult thing. I, of course, an inpatient, there aren't a lot of beds and both inpatient and outpatient. I realized there just aren't a lot of doctors. Mm-hmm. There, yes, there's a real shortage of like, um, psychiatrists in particular, like prescribing doctors. There's a, you know, the, the, so kind of a brief history of mental health treatment was, you know, there was a big push, especially in the 80s, to move away from institutionalization. On the whole, that's actually a good thing, in my opinion. Like, I actually think that moving away from long term, you know, especially for if we think with people with schizophrenia, people with bipolar, people with some of the kind of the serious mental illness, the people that kind of I, I deal with, that I tend to work with and what my specialty is in, this is where we kind of get that idea of like a sanitarium. This is where people like lived in a hospital and that's where they spent their time. And they basically went there, they got their diagnosis and they lived at the hospital and that was the rest of their life. That isn't a good thing. Like the idea behind having hospitals maybe be, you know, like us reducing beds and not having these facilities like that because we want to get people stabilized. We want people to be able to do the work on outpatient is really actually a great thing. The flip side of that is what that actually means is 
there's cuts in funding for mental health. There's just not actually the resources, which is the sad part, right? Like if we spun this as an ideal world, hospitalization is all about getting people back to be able to be back in their community where they have support and hospitalization really is, is a way to kind of help with safety. That would be great. And that would be ideal. Um, what we got was close all of these facilities down and not have other resources. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, so it was about, uh, again, late at night um, when I got, finally got into my room um, and sort of get, you know, just getting adjusted. Of course, you know, you have to, at least, I don't know what the rules are everywhere, but you have to hand over your phone, um, all of anything that could be used to like, um, record or contact the outside world or anything like that um you can't have with you um you can't have your shoes if they have shoelaces those have to be taken from you um you know anything that could be realistically used to harm yourself they take from you um but you know you're allowed to they do provide you with like a gown if you uh, if you don't have anything else or if whatever, but um, they they do let you wear your own clothes. Um, they let your um, your family bring you clothes and bring you other things um, into the unit. Um, my my biggest <laughs> my biggest things were like you know just having nice clean clothes because there was a shower in my room, which was also like one of the the best feelings was just to like be able to take a shower. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, wear a new clean set of clothes and wear your own clothes, which feel comfortable and like make you feel more comfortable in the unit. And then books is just like having something to do to pass the time when you're not in sessions. Cause we went through probably five or six sessions a day. And then there was like an evening activity or something. And that's a lot of downtime. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, you know, there's very little else to do and it's very boring. Um, and so uh, like they had a bunch of books there. I started reading the Da Vinci code and I was like, Oh, the Da Vinci code is just <laughs> I think it's just in the sense of just remembering units uh, that I have worked on because I have worked on an inpatient. It's just like how old some of our books are sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and so my, my wife, you know, was able to bring me um, uh, books and that was a lot, very helpful to have my own books that I could read. And then the other thing that was really sort of odd to me but i get why they did it is they didn't let us have caffeine all of the the they had it like a coffee pot but it was decaffeinated and then there were no other sources of caffeine which i understand like you know caffeine can uh, it's a pretty powerful drug and it can affect your your mood and all of that and they want to you know get a, a baseline for people but for someone like me who is uh probably drinks too much caffeine in the morning like that sort of headache situation yep. is not one that i want to deal with so my wife actually brought me like uh cherry cokes too <laughs> <laughs> well so i think of it as um you know like there's the, the two of the bigger complaints that i i get from people uh the caffeine is definitely one um 
uh, and for a lot of people, smoking. Yeah, of course. Because, uh, you know, and this is wild to me to see from the differences even from like the early 2000s to now. Uh, so I worked at a, a one of my first jobs after college was doing um, overnight admissions at a mental health hospital. And at that point, there was like a smoke shack that was attached to the locked part of it. And like I had to like go take people out there and like watch them because, you know, like they're they're like waiting to be like moved to a unit mm-hmm. like it was wild like that just you know you that that was still part of it like you could go smoke um there was like they went out and smoked multiple times a day and now locked units really don't have that and so you know like they will offer you a patch and um <laughs> you know like it it, it, it is could be very effective but there are a lot of people that are like i don't want to go because i can't smoke right yeah like, no and, like, and you know i don't smoke but uh, I understand, you know, how strong that can be. Oof. I think one of the things you're talking about, you know, um, I'm really glad to hear the unit you were on like, had stuff to do, right? Like the idea behind it with kind of this recovery model. So the recovery model is something that I talked about uh, last year during Mental Health Awareness Month, which is really meant to be a move away from medical model and really a move towards kind of patient-centered care or client-centered care that really is involving people in their recovery. And part of this is recognizing that, you know, even if you're only going to be there for a couple of days, having programming, having that opportunity to learn some coping skills, to not just have this be basically, okay, we're going to change your medications and you sit here for three days and we come up with a treatment plan for when you leave, but to actually start some of that work while you're there. Yeah, yeah. And the, um, you know, both uh, my outpatient um, and my inpatient experiences, the the classes were fairly robust um, with, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavioral therapy, um, doing stuff like, you know, using art to express your feelings, um, learning about medicine and medication and um, the science behind um, behavioral therapy and um, basic uh, neurological science. Um, Like all of that was a a strong emphasis. Um, There were also, you know, group therapy sessions and that's the, the part that I was getting to um, when I, I said there aren't enough doctors is you, you, um, you realize, or at least in my experiences, like when I got to outpatient therapy for the first time, I was like, oh, like I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be like going to my therapist. Um, like I'll see a a person and talk about, you know, like uh, have a therapy session every day. And that just doesn't happen because there aren't enough doctors basically, as far as I know, that's the reason there aren't enough doctors to do that. Um, there is not, I mean, (laughs) yeah, that, that is very, very true. Um, and that's, and that can be, I think that's, you know, that was difficult for me to accept at first when I was Mm -hmm. doing outpatient therapy. Cause like, I'm, you know, I'm here, um, to to fix my problems i'm not here to fix the the 10 other people in this group therapy sessions problems. <laughs> um, and uh, so that and like learning like learning to cope with that was a little difficult and there are like i think group therapy is 
there are things you can learn from it though um you know it's it's really good at building um empathy um in that like you know my problems i you know my problems were severe enough that i had to be in an inpatient facility um but i had a very good support network i was never worried about my job um you know my wife was constantly um visiting and taking care of me um and my my family was in contact and all of that so i you know i was doing i had a good as good of a support network as anyone could ask for outside of um inpatient therapy and you know there are there are people who just didn't have that support system and we're dealing with more major problems than me and so really like really getting a sense for um you know what these people are dealing with and um it really builds your empathy in that way and i i think it and learning you know talking to other people and learning their experiences and then hearing what works for them with their coping skills um, and getting that support from them. I think that was that was stronger in outpatient therapy than it was in inpatient therapy, at least in, you know, in my two very specific um, instances. Um, but it was I think that that was something that was really great and really um, uh, that was something valuable that I took away that I wasn't expecting. I mean, so, you know, I've, I've worked on in inpatient units where the, the goal is the short term stay. Um, one of the things that can be can happen a lot of times is there's you know the, the average length of stay is pretty short, especially with I think people coming in with kind of maybe some safety concerns, the depression's up, they're really worried about kind of they just they don't feel safe, and I think that that's something that I want to kind of demystify is like it being a place where that that is appropriate to come to. Um, there's also the flip side, like inpatient units can be chaotic. There are people that are there with pretty serious symptom presentations and mm-hmm. that don't have anywhere else to go. I think you mentioned like you, you had the support system, you had that kind of in place, you had a treatment plan. I mean, and this is coming from working in the the VA where we're not getting people from the community, but you know, we had people that just, there wasn't that there wasn't a support system. There wasn't a good discharge plan there wasn't that clarity and we would get people staying on the unit for kind of a a lot longer of a period. And there's times that that meant that the unit itself could also be kind of a chaotic place that is, that can happen. Right. Like I I think that it is, I, I don't think it is like what people picture and they think that it's just like people running around and screaming and, you know, like I, of things like that are over the top, like we talked about with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or mm-hmm. these like the media portrayals of like what a hospitalization looks like. And it, 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 it though is that it still is a restrictive environment and it still is a place that people, you know, they're not everybody is there voluntarily and it can be a traumatic experience. And I think that that's one thing that I don't want to underemphasize, you know, we're talking about this because I really want us people to get a sense of what inpatient can be and what the purpose of it is and really what we hope happens. I have also had the people that have been hospitalized against their will and, you know, th- that can make it very difficult to 
engage in care after that happens. Yeah, it's it certainly wasn't fun. Um, oh, okay. You know. <laughs> I, you, know, you were was not just sing alongs all night. And <laughs> I, 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 I remember the first time I talked to my therapist after um, coming home from the hospital. We were talking about it. I was like, man, that was that was really not fun. He's like, it's not supposed to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's there. There's things like, you know, you you have to deal with um, like you really one of the, the weird things is this this loss of autonomy over yourself. Um, like when you're in there. You I mean, you could choose like just choose not to go to therapy and plenty of people did that and they're like no one was going to drag you to the sessions um, if you didn't want to go, but like, you know, they were checking on your, your taking blood samples in the middle of the night and like, um, doing like very sort of, and like, you know, you're living in a room with an open door and, or, you know, all of that. It's, it's, it is invasive and it is sort of like dehumanizing to a, a, a degree, um, like you're denied freedom, you're denied yeah. some of the the basic, um, you know, things that you've come to count on um, for your own autonomy, um, and I think, you know, that's for me it was effective um, in that it was you know it helped level me out and figure out um, you know a new medication plan um and get me out of crisis situation um but it, it as you said it, it it was a little traumatic i mean my my first job i remember kind of getting into it um to do this like part of my job was to literally i mean it is safety right so i had to do i i worked the overnight shifts part of my job involved like having to go and make sure people were still breathing um, and I do mean that, like, I literally had to like shine a flashlight on a ceiling to make sure I could see people breathing. And mm -hmm. I know how poor of a sleeper I am, right? <laughs> like <laughs> every 30 minutes, even, you know, and it's, you know, like people would be on different levels of checks based on level of safety and everything else. Like, you know, like it would not, I would, I would really, it would be very difficult, I think for me who already struggles with sleep. And that may be what, if I was ever to be hospitalized, I think sleep would probably be one of the indicators that led me there. There are those very real pieces. It is invasive. It is intrusive. Um, you're going to get asked a lot of the same questions every single day. That's another oh, thing that yeah. I think about. <laughs> you know, like you're you're getting asked like, yeah, you know, especially if you were in there maybe for thoughts of self-harm, like you're going to get asked for like over and over again. Like, mm -hmm. how are you feeling? Do you have thoughts of wanting to kill yourself today? I mean, it, it, like, it happens, right? Like, there's, it is a medical facility. It still is, as you said, even at a nice open recovery place, there is a loss of sense of autonomy. And especially if you're not there necessarily by choice, um, you know, that, that there, there really is like you, you, you can, 
want to leave and just basically be told no. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can even go involuntarily. And this is something that I do want to like let people know, like logistics, right? Like going involuntarily is always a better kind of situation um, in my experience. I will say though that going involuntarily into a, a locked type unit like this does not really mean that you can just leave whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, if you walk in that door and you just say, you know what, this was a bad idea. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. And the reason that you were going in, even if it was voluntarily was because of concerns about harming yourself. Like the doctors can then choose to say, well, you're staying, um, you know, it, it it can happen and it, and I'm not going to like lie and say that it doesn't, but you know, I think it is clear to people that, that voluntarily means that you show that you're kind of willing to be engaged in the process. It shows that you recognize kind of that you need help versus somebody who just flat out says like, well, as soon as I leave this appointment today, I'm going to kill myself. Like, you know, there's a big difference. Um, but it doesn't right. mean that you have complete autonomy just even if you go involuntarily. And, you know, I, I, you know, I don't think I was ever told that uh, specific thing that you just said, but I, you know, I got there and I was like, this is not like, again, this is not fun. This sucks. I, w- I would very much like to leave. Um, but, you know, I realized that, you know, the, the best way out for me uh, was to participate in the program and to, you know, make sure that I was getting better and make sure that the experience that I had in there wasn't um, wasted. And so that, you know, I, that I was actually getting better and I wasn't just getting out to get out. you didn't get to the point where you were just saying exactly the words that needed to be said. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I was being honest and I was participating in the process and, um, you know, it's to be perfectly honest as a a person who has gone through like a lot of the, the screenings and stuff, like it's pretty easy to know which, what the good answers to the questions are and what the bad answers to the questions are. Mm -hmm. Like, um but you don't actually get better if you do that what i think that you you said you know like you agreed to do and this is what is a lot more common now places are starting to offer this idea of what's called like a partial hospitalization program um which is usually kind of a step down um after inpatient where it's kind of intensive day treatment and uh i always like want to talk a little bit about that aspect of it because the idea here is um this is not day treatment in the sense of like the goal is that you go and just like play pool and drink coffee and hang out with some people during the daytime. Cause I mean, that is literally what we used to do, right? Like <laughs> that is what kind of day treatment originally was. Um, the idea here is that you're doing kind of intensive treatment over a couple week period often. And the idea is that you're going to go to groups all day long. Um, Ideally, a lot of these are skills-based groups where you're actually getting the tools that you need to work on, you know, I think 
one of the biggest parts for me that I that I work with people both before and after hospitalizations is kind of the idea of a wellness plan. Like learning new coping strategies, learning how to recognize those signs that I'm not doing as well. Um, noticing what led up to getting you there before to kind of, you know, ideally prevent it from happening again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that my outpatient thing was a PHP. Um, and I really like became to view it as sort of like therapy school. Like you would go in the mornings and like you'd be in therapy classes all day and it'd finish up around three o'clock and it was therapy school. Um, and it's, it's really about learning and like building those, those coping skills and those strategies. Did you guys do kind of, you know, I'm just curious from your experience and going through all of this, we are fully recognizing that not everybody's experience is going to be the same. Um, part of what ALK had kind of emphasized to me to begin with was like, this is what my experience was. And that's all we can do on here is talk about our own journeys and our own experiences. And, you know, I definitely know people who have had fantastic, great experiences, even with ending up hospitalized. I know the flip side. Um, but I'm curious because this is something that I find to be important when I'm talking to people or trying to help them is, you know, did you do kind of a good, like, you know, like I think of it as like a root cause analysis or doing it like an after action plan where you kind of talked about, okay, well, what were those signs? What was going on? Like what led up to this? Um, um with my therapy, not as part of that process, I don't believe. Maybe I did. I I, I do it more with my therapist, um, who is uh, a set from a separate practice from the the inpatient unit. Um, and, you know, my therapist is very big on, you know, if there is an incident, exploring you know those causes of the incident and. Um, you know, what I can do, um, what the, the thoughts, the, the automatic negative thoughts that are occurring from the incident, um, what I can do to mitigate those, uh, thoughts. Um, and then, you know, what I can do in the next time, if an incident like this, um, could happen again to be proactive and, to um to not let it happen so there one of the other things that we you know we're, this is a lot less of a magic episode and we we understand that you know we talked a little bit at the beginning about kind of mental health in general is not really covered <laughs> In magic. Um, no. <laughs> and where it is covered, it is it's not, covered. not great. <laughs> great. Um, you know, and <sighs> so I, I want to bring this up because I think that th this is an element to our game that is not really, I don't know, like it is not an area that we have, you know, when we find our topics, it's, it is storyline wise, we've gotten some of it. Um, we got cards that talk about psychosis and psychotic episode actually is a card. These are actually like clinical things on cards that really do not represent what they are. Um, 
how Ravnica functioned, the concept of madness really harkens back to kind of, I think, very stigmatizing approaches to mental health. Um, I think for me, having this discussion and, and being frank with it with you, ALK, is like, I want us to be able to talk about these because I think that people don't know what to expect if something happens. If they end up in crisis, they, they just don't know. And, and the unknown is so scary. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, you know, I have had some um, some family experience with mental health um, before this. So I had a little bit more of an idea um, of what I was getting into. Um, but it's, it's still scary. It was scary to me, um, when I was going through it, even with that knowledge. Um, and it's, you know, I, I tend to look at the, you know, the, my mental health in a, a very frank manner when it, when it comes to, you know, the, the big things, um, like suicide or, um, self-harm is like, you like you don't you are sometimes if you're like your attempt fails you might not get an out from suicide like that's like if you're successful it that's it you don't get a you don't get to fix it you don't get a second chance like you're just done um and so like that is just something that needs to be avoided and dealt with and not gotten to that point um and so like that that was that that incident with me was like that is that was like the absolute stopping point because like once you like get into that sort of territory then it's there could be no going back um and so that is what helped you know me make that decision and I think that is something that's kind of, you know, when it gets to that point, it doesn't seem like there are other options. And it doesn't mean that the other options are good. And, but it just really does, like, you you cannot see the other options at that point. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes people have happened kind of, I think, what you're describing, like, you get to a point where you did something that scared you. Um, and I'm guessing from, and like I said, what you've described so far part of what scared you was because it, re it, 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 it like made clear kind of where this could mm -hmm. head. Um, I am curious, what was your biggest fear about going inpatient? Like that's something that I, I just am curious about. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, this is going to sound dumb. I'm a very like homebody person. Um, like I, you know, as like that classic sort of like introvert thing, like I get my energy from being at home. Um, and the idea of like being trapped in a place, like if I wanted to get out, like if I absolutely wanted to get out that I couldn't like, that they wouldn't let me. And so like, just that, that fear of being, I guess, trapped away. Yeah. I mean, the, the fear that, that you don't have autonomy. And I mean, I, I think that one thing that happens is 
people don't know you know you don't know what the rules are you don't know what like doctors can and can't do Mm -hmm. um I think the fear of the unknown and the fear of what, you know, I, I, I always think of it as kind of really is taking away freedom and there may be a reason for it, right? There there's safety is one of these, like it trumps everything. I mean, to the point where you can tell me about, you know, you can literally tell me about like committing a murder. And if you don't have a plan, you're telling me you don't have a plan to harm somebody. Like that's not one of those things that I can break confidence about. You could mm-hmm. tell me you you beat your wife if you're not planning on killing her, and it's not an imminent threat. Like you, you know, that's where you know we talk about confidentiality. Well, we do have limits, right? Like there isn't, you know, like, and one of those is safety, and and safety usually is not just for other people, but for yourself, and that can that decision can get made for you that you are going to be hospitalized and that i think is a very scary thing um mm-hmm. i work with younger people whose kind of first experience with the mental health system was because so as i said working with people with schizophrenia or schizophrenia kind of spectrum disorders for some people their first experience with mental health is is getting hospitalized right and that's an incredibly scary thing if you're experiencing mental health symptoms so severe for the first time and then you have all of your autonomy and just taken away from you and, and, and usually in a state where you don't really know what is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, that, that's different than kind of I know what you're talking about here. But I do always want to kind of highlight that it can be a traumatic experience. Um and, you know, in fact, to the point where some therapies that we do, especially with with younger people who have gone through this, is is processing the hospitalization as if it were a, a trauma. Um, and while that is the case and that does happen, a lot of hospitalizations are, are really what you're describing here, that it, it is for a person's well-being – because we don't want to see them take their life and their medications might not be working. That happens or, you know, they're just, their coping mechanisms are to the point where they just, they're failing or they're not really doing what they normally do. Yeah. And if there, you know, if there's one thing um, to, to people listening to this episode, if, I would like them to take away is, um, you know, if you find yourself in that, that situation where you don't feel like you have any other options, um, you know, hospitalization can work. It did work for me. Um, again, I'm only speaking from my own experience. Um, but one of the, the things that I, I sort of wanted to do, when I got out of the hospital was like, try and think about ways that I could talk about my experience in a way that was, you know, helpful for me to sort of process it, but helpful for other people too to, um, to de- like destigmatize what I feel like is, you know, one of the most stigmatized pieces of mental health. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, 
I mean, I, I, I will say I've definitely worked with people whose goal as they're kind of leaving inpatient is to never be inpatient again. And um, I mean, gallows humor as it can be, I kind of like, well, that's my <laughs> goal too, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're right. Like, it, 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 but we are here. If you need it, this is a place for you to come back to. Um, sure, I would love for people I work with that have a history of multiple suicide attempts to get to a point where they never need to be hospitalized again. I also want people to realize that it is available to them. And it's not going to be, like you said, it's not a fun time. It's not necessarily meant to be a fun time. Um, But I also think that there is a lot of fear that is unfounded or a lot of fear that that is based on stigma, um, media perceptions, uh, just, you know, even like, let's say, like, even within our own game, kind of the use of language and... I know at some point we're going to talk more about this on an episode, but just how language is used with uh, like mm-hmm. psychotic and psycho and psychopath and like these get used interchangeably when they're really, they mean things. And I think that that the games industry, just like TV is something that we're very far behind when it comes to the stigma with mental health and even recognizing that it is okay to talk about if you're having these thoughts. Mm-hmm. Although I just want to put it out there. It wasn't all bad. Um, I did win a game of bingo while in the hospital. And I think I, I, I think my, the prize I took was a bigger mug so I could drink more decaf coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at one facility where we served like Sanka. Which is like the worst stuff ever. Like it's it's not even like fake coffee at that point. It was just like that's what we could offer. Um. Well, ALK, I really appreciate you just coming and talking very openly about what your experiences have been in this in this this manner. Like we've we've talked a lot on here in the show about different you know mental health and how to cope and all this. But there is a point where I think all of our resources do get taxed and the willingness that you kind of showed was, you know, that there was something that was important for you to keep going. And you had to use this tool that was at your disposal, I mean, in some ways to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, you know, I'm, again, I I didn't enjoy the experience, um, but it is better than the alternative and for that alone i'm glad i did it so kind of on our way out is there anything that you want to share that was either you know just like a parting words of wisdom or just you know things that you wish you had known or do know now um yeah is there anything else that you just wanted to kind of wrap us up with um I don't know how they do food in, you know, every hospital across the country or across the world. Um, yep. Always. Um, uh, we got little cards with like meal options for every day. Um, it's important to sort of vary your meals each day. Like don't have get the same thing for for lunch as you do for dinner because none of the food is that great. And if your lunch turns out to be not great, then your dinner is just going to be a huge disappointment. 
um always check the dessert that's a pro strat and see if they have extra desserts sometimes they have extra desserts i mean this is like this is like the gamification of hospitalization (laughs) i like it you know even then you were thinking as a gamer well, we, we really, like I said, we really appreciate you coming on um, to talk about this topic. Uh, you know, like I, I obviously have kind of the flip side of kind of, you know, working on these units. And I've thought about, you know, what it would be like for me myself. You know, I've, I've had struggles with depression. I've had struggles with anxiety. Um, I've gotten to the point where I've considered, um, and this was, you know, in much younger Hobbes years, uh, but, you know, knowing that it is there and it, it, you know, like I would go if I needed to, um, it's still scary. And I still think that it's just something that we, to me, need to talk more about um, in our community in general, just like there is a continuum of mental health care and it does rise to something like this at times. Yeah, well, uh, thank you both for having me on and giving me this um, this safe space to talk about my experience um, and um, be listened to in a way that was, um, you know, not judgmental and supportive. And um, really, I, I hope that, you know, the people who listen to this um, get something out of it and um can learn from my experience. And do you want to let everybody know where they can actually find you? I don't know if we did that at the beginning. I realized oh, yeah. that, like, like, I'm hey, very bad about people may want to actually follow you or like learn about what else you do with your cool art. Yeah. So I'm at, um, alters, ALK, all one word on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Instagram is like my, just my main full, um, posting, pretty pictures of digital card images. Um, Twitter has that as well as, you know, basic Twitter stuff, Um, (laughs) which can vary from day to day, but, you know. (laughs) Um, uh, Those are my two main accounts. Um, Am I allowed to talk about Patreon? Yeah, you can talk about anything you want. Uh, Yeah, I'm on Patreon. I do um, uh, a various number of tiers, but the most exciting ones are the ten and um, twenty dollar tiers, where I um, do mailings of um, uh, card shaped uh, <laughs> landscapes and critters, as I call them, um, that don't have the intellectual property of any particular company on them. Um, and uh, if you do the $20 level, you get a set of all five for the month. If you get do the $10 level, you get one chosen at random. And I am going to be posting the May one soon. And they'll be out, of course, when this episode goes live. And like I said, this is the first of our episodes. We will be having um, Chase will be back on with us uh, for this month. We are working on kind of having her join us for a couple of episodes. Um, this month is very important to to Alex and I as we kind of with this cast. And I don't know that we can overstate that. Um, 
you know, the regular listeners of the show are going to be well aware that Alex and I have talked about our own struggles and our own kind of difficulties and those, those things that we have done. And we really just want to be using this month in particular. I mean, we, we do it all year, but to take the fact that there is mental health awareness month to kind of attack stigma. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, if I could say one thing about what we are trying to do, nope, not using that word, try do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) I'm correcting myself. One thing that we are going to do doesn't mean we'll be successful, but one thing that we are doing is we are putting this out there, hoping to reduce stigma, to start conversations that we believe need to be had um, about mental health in particular, because this is an area that is very important, I think, to both Alex and I. Yeah. I mean, and, and when I, I think I've said it on the cast before, but it's something I'll say again. Um, when I was, when I first was starting to see a therapist to work, I mean, even be diagnosed with my, my social anxiety, I kind of, I very quickly learned that the two most helpful things for me were to one, talk to other people about what I was going through. And two, listen to what other people were going through, listen to their experiences, because even if they were very different from mine, that was still helpful for me trying to figure out what was going on in my own brain and and work through that. And so just having those conversations, giving a space for those, for using what platform we have to bring on other people to talk about their experiences. So thank you very much for coming on ALK. It's, it's, this is something that we want to do. And without people willing to come on and share their experiences, we're limited in what we can do. So we really appreciate you coming on well thanks and that's our show for today you can find the host on twitter hobbs q can be found at hobbs q and alex newman can be found at mel underscore send any questions comments thoughts hopes and dreams to at goblin lore pod on twitter or email us at goblin lore podcast at gmail.com if you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmith the cast can be found at patreon.com slash Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at hipstersofthecoast.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.